Let's just bow together for a word of prayer first. Abba, Father, we come to you with heavy hearts, some confusion, questions. We ask for you to help us and keep our faith strong in you. Help us to look to things that are not seen rather than things that are seen, as the scripture tells us. We ask for you to guide and direct us in our thoughts and even through all this that you might in some way strengthen our faith, speak to our hearts and help us through difficult, difficult questions and thoughts. We ask it all in Yeshua's name. Amen. If you have, you have programs there, can you take, there's a little, little outline there, just a short thing, not long. And I'm not here to give you all the answers, that's for sure. I don't know if anyone can give you all the answers. I think someday, I try to think and believe with all my heart that someday we will all see him face to face. And I don't think we'll have to have questions. I think when we see him, children can he let go. I forgot to let them go. I think when we see him, most of us will just go, ah, I understand. We have, a fo- we have a tendency to focus on the here and now, which is normal. What we see, what's in our presence right now. When I see these dialogues going back and forth, I raise a number of questions. You could have more questions. But first, if you have your outlines, there's four questions there. If I just touch very, very briefly, if I can. I get four questions. You have them under one, two, three, four. Some of your outlines are wrong. It says five, six, seven, eight. Number one, what's the response of the faithful? Everyone look up here. You saw two responses basically up here. A lot of different people, but only two responses. There's the response of what I like to think the unfaithful, the unrighteous, the unbelieving, those who can't make sense of anything. So their normal response was there could be no God to take me out of it. All they could see is here and now. There's the response of the faithful. You might find yourself going both ways. Making sense for the unfaithful? The faithful. Saying they have to believe and trust God. When I think of that question, I think of the unfaithful. They see things and they blame God. I do it all the time. Things go bad in my life. God, why are you punishing me? I'm always against God when things go wrong. And I like to think the unfaithful, though they're looking on things as they are, I think the unfaithful are playing the blame game. It's his fault. It's your fault. It's God's fault. It's everybody else's fault. And they don't seem to want to trust and believe because of circumstances. The question is, how do we respond in difficult and dark times? We find fault. We make excuses. There is a difference between good kings and bad kings in Israel. When, the, when you went to a bad king and you said, the prophet said, this is wrong. They said, no, you're wrong. And they killed him. The good king said, you're right. It's my fault. The unrighteous, the unfaithful have a tendency to turn away from God because they want satisfaction here and now and they don't believe in suffering. And that's a hard problem. The faithful have a different response. The faithful, as Ken and the others here, were trying to say, 
you have to believe and trust that there's a real God. They say, no, we don't, because we're suffering. They say you have to believe and trust in him no matter what. In your, uh, well, you don't have the outlines. But the faithful answer, and I think like this. The psalmist puts it this way in Psalm 46, verse 1. God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Even though we will not fear, though the earth should shake. Now, we, we distance ourselves from that. And the Holocaust seems real, real close to us. So it becomes more real. But he said, though the earth shake, though it change, the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, no matter what, even if disaster takes place, the faithful so, though its waters roar and foam, or the mountains quake at its swelling pride, the faithful say, we will still trust in God. We will still believe in him. Job, you see, my problem is this. When we go to the Bible, most of the things are too far away. The Holocaust is right here. My family, grandparents, they suffered greatly. We understand the pain. Job had it, the worst thing anyone could ever imagine. He lost his 10 children. He lost his home, his finances, his health. He begged for death. It was horrible what he went through. We cannot fathom what he went through. And yet we see his words. Job answered. He arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground, worshipped. He said, naked I came and from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job didn't sin. And it got worse for him. Chapter 2, he says. But he said to his wife, the reason he said to his wife, his wife just said, why don't you open your eyes? Makes sense. There is no God. Curse him and die. And he said, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept the adversity? And all this, Job still didn't sin. Nehemiah's time. See, this is the response of the faithful. Nehemiah wept and cried because the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. Nehemiah saw the walls of Jerusalem totally destroyed. The temple destroyed. The land destroyed. His family destroyed. Everything was destroyed. What does the faithful say? I can't look at what I see here. I have to trust and believe there's a real God. Nehemiah's prayer. A lot of people don't like to hear this. When I heard these words, I sat down, I wept, I mourned with fasting and uh, praying before the God of heaven. We've acted very corruptly. Nehemiah, stop that. Why is he saying we have acted? He was a holy, godly man. Nehemiah, we've acted corruptly. You, you, got, you have kept the commandments and you have, kept, uh, you have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances, which... You commanded your servant Moses. Actually, Nehemiah blames us. We saw those people up here. We saw those people. The righteous said we have to trust God in spite. To me, one of the greatest prayers in all the Bible. You have to follow along with this prayer. I want you to picture Daniel. The streets of Jerusalem. Jerusalem once thrived. was beautiful. The heads of all the world. And Jerusalem all of a sudden was the temple was leveled. The ground was leveled. Mothers and fathers and children were all killed. Daniel himself possibly made a eunuch. Parents killed. Taken to a foreign land. Taken to a foreign land. The worst you could ever imagine. It was a holocaust. Nebuchadnezzar was a Hitler. We try to divorce ourselves from that and just say the present. But look what Daniel as a young man said. So I gave my attention to the Lord God. To seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God, confessed and said, Alas, O Lord God, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant 
and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. If I was Daniel, I would argue against him. I would have been up here saying, Daniel, he doesn't keep his covenant. Look, look what's happened. It's destroyed. Probably seemed worse than even in our modern time. Daniel says this, we have sinned. Refuses to point his finger to God. That's the response of the faithful. We have sinned. We've committed iniquity. We've acted wickedly. We've rebelled, even turning aside from God's commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets. We've turned away. He refused to blame God. We've turned from your prophets who spoke in your name to our, uh, in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. And now listen to his words. Amazing. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord. Now that's standing in the rubble of the Holocaust. But to us, open shame as it is this day. To the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel. And I might say, your people, Lord. Those who are nearby and those who are away in all the countries to which you have driven them. Because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. We are to blame, even though we've, we've turned away from God. Look, open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, princes, fathers, because we have sinned to the Lord our God, be compassion, forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. I, six, 67 years ago, 70 years ago, I don't know if I could have said that. Open shame belongs to me. I deserve this. Nobody deserves what we saw, it appears. But as Ken would say, there's a purpose, there's a plan that we can't see. Don't look at things the way they are. To you, God, belong compassion, forgiveness, for we rebelled against him. Nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings, which he set before us through his servants, the prophets. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law, turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us, along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, a servant of God, we have sinned against you. And now he says, the end of his prayer, as they ended, and now, O Lord God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, you made uh, a name for yourself as it is today, we have sinned and we have acted wickedly, O Lord, in accordance with your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath please be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. Because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach. Verse 17. So now our God, listen to our prayer. The prayer of your servant. Supplications. And for your servant, for your sake, O Lord. Let your face shine on this desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline your ear. Listen. Open your eyes. See. See our desolations in the city which is called by your name. We are presenting our supplications before you. We are not preventing on account of our own merit, our own deeds. But because, God, you are good. Turn from your wrath. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action. For your sake, O my God, do not delay. Because your city and your people are called by your name. I like to summarize that first question. Again, there's many questions. The righteous believe, accept, and trust God even in the midst of darkness, adversity, difficulties, sicknesses, no matter what takes place, I'm going to trust God that he will one day make it all right. Question two, where was God? This is a very, very tough question as they brought out very well. Where was God in the midst of all this? 
Well, I thought about it this week. I, the best way, not the best, but only one thought I came up with is a parent, like myself or father or mother. They have a child, a child whom we love so much. And you raise them and you teach them, don't live an immoral life. Don't be given to sexual immorality. Don't drink and become an alcoholic. Don't take drugs. Don't go. We try and warn our children. I think we could all identify with that. But our children don't see it the way we see it. My, uh, my Rebecca in Florida, right now, she always says, why, why didn't I see it like you were telling me? It was very clear, everything you told me. But here's the amazing thing. Our children will get diseases. They will get all kinds of diseases. They will suffer the effects of alcohol. They will uh, suffer the effects of drugs. Who suffers? Me. It's just as painful for me as for her. It might be more so painful for disciplining uh, a parent. And so, I want you to just see very, very briefly here. So the Jewish people in the period of Judges, after they came out, the Jewish people came out of Egypt, were in the wilderness with God. So the Jewish people forsook the Lord, served Baal, served idols, turned away from God. And the anger of the Lord burned against them because I know what's good for you. Don't do what you're doing. You will suffer. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel and he gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hands of their... God, here it is, turned on his people. I don't know if we, we look at it one way, but God is doing a discipline to his people. He plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies around them so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. This is in the book of Judges when God allowed a ju- uh, enemies to rise up against the Jewish people. But follow along here. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil. God allowed it in their life. Do we understand it? No, you can't. Can't understand the suffering. You can't trust and believe. He said uh, he was against them for evil as the Lord had spoken and as the Lord had sworn to them, so they were severely distressed. Question, where was God? They were suffering. The Lord raised up judges then. He did still see them. He raised up a help. He raised up a deliverer. He raised up salvation. He raised up an anointed one to help them. A deliverer from the hands of those who plunder them. Listen carefully to these next, there's three phrases in the next uh, passages. When the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord uh, was with the judge and delivered them from the hand of the enemies. All the days of the judge. Now three times we're going to see something unique. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning. God sent the evil, but God suffered the pain. God was with them in their agony, in their suffering, in their pain. Don't ask me if he could have stopped it. He could have. He had a purpose. He had a reason. I'm just saying, what was God doing here? He was moved to pity by their groaning, and yet God allowed it. Next passage, it says, verse 13, Yet you have forsaken me. You served other gods. Therefore, I will no longer deliver you. God, again, is going to punish them. So they put away their foreign gods from among them. They served the Lord. And the Lord could not bear their misery of Israel any longer. God was suffering with them. God was weeping. I love constantly in this thing that Ken kept on saying. The people will survive. 
There will be a nation. And there, there was. God protected the Torah, the people, and made a nation. God could bear it. God suffered always in history with his people. Chapter Isaiah 63, verse 9. In all their affliction, can you look up here for a minute? They were afflicted by the Egyptians. They were afflicted by the Assyrians. They were afflicted by the Babylonians. They were afflicted by Rome. They were afflicted throughout all of history. They were afflicted by Titus and the Romans. They were afflicted by Hitler. Listen carefully. In all their afflictions, God was afflicted with them. Where was God? He was with them, my conclusion. God was weeping and waiting and suffering with them for them to turn back to him. Someone said to me this week, I think I said it before, God took his own medicine. What do you mean? Well, people suffered for their sins. The Messiah himself came to earth and suffered more than we could ever imagine. Not just death, not just death on a cross, but when Yeshua was on the cross, the Bible teaches us the anger of his father, God, was against him. We cannot fathom for one moment the suffering that Yeshua did for all of us. God himself took his own medicine. Question three, did God keep his promise? Let me say this real quick. Yes, he did. God kept his promise. God made a promise. It was brought out in the play to Abraham. You know what God said to Abraham? There will always be a nation. I will bless the people. I will bring forth the Messiah. God always promised a land, a seed, and blessing. God said, I will preserve them and watch over them. God made the promise to Isaac. God made the promise to Jacob. You know what God said to King David? I make you a promise. I'm going to make a king come from you that will last forever. Your kingdom will last forever. Did God keep his promise? Of course. Jewish people, are they wiped out? Never. It was wonderful. Where are the Romans? Where are the Babylonians? Where are the Assyrians? Any group? Where are they? Everyone, tell me. Where are the Jewish people? Because God kept his promise. It depends on what promise you're looking for. He didn't say that he wouldn't discipline them. He didn't say they wouldn't suffer. In fact, his children suffered more. They were more responsible. God came to the Jewish people, sent the Messiah to the Jewish people, sent the prophets to the Jewish people, gave the word of God to the Jewish people. We are more responsible. We have sinned and turned against God. And God said, I will always keep my promise, but I will discipline you. God said to Moses, see, that's a different agreement than Abraham, than David, than Jeremiah. You know what God said to Moses? We're learning that each week. Moses said to the Jewish people, if you worship me, obey me, follow me, and do all that I command you, then I will do all this for you, and you'll be blessed in the land. Well, they didn't keep their agreement, and God also disciplined them. He's always keeping his promise. He said it to Moses. King David, they brought out something about uh, King David too. Psalm 89, it says this. If his sons, David's sons, forsake me, forsake my law, and they don't walk in my judgments, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression. God made promises to Israel. He always kept his promises. He always will, no matter what we see. God has always kept his promises. The discipline, God said, you will be disciplined as well. 
But I loved the verses that Rob brought out. Well, let me just mention first. Joshua, after the Jewish people got in the land. Solomon and David, after they get in the land. It says this, not one of all the good promises that God gave to his people, not one of them was not fulfilled. God always fulfills his promises. Listen carefully to these verses. Listen, beautiful verse. Jeremiah 31. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day, the fixed order of the moon and the stars by night, stirs up the sea so that its waves will roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order, if you can stop the seasons, departs from me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel also will cease from being a nation before me forever. Our people survive. They always will. Because God has his hand on our people. Suffering, yes, can't understand it. He always preserves our people. Jeremiah 31, verse 37. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out below, then I also will cast off all the Jewish people. Arnold Fruchtenbaum has a message. How to destroy the Jewish people. All you have to do, send some kind of bomb to destroy the sun. Then destroy, destroy the star, all the stars and all the heavens and all the earth. Then the Jewish people are gone. Jeremiah 33, one of my favorites. The Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Have you not observed that, the pe- this, that this people has spoken saying, The two families which the Lord chose, he has rejected them. That's what was going on 60 years ago. Jeremiah said it thousands of years ago. The Jewish people said, we're destroyed. We're gone. It's over. Jeremiah 33, 25. Thus says the Lord, If my covenant for day and night stand not, the fixed patterns of the heavens and the earth I have not established, then I would reject the descendants of Jacob and David, my servant, not taking from them their descendants rulers over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but I will restore their fortunes and I will have mercy on them. God always kept his promise to his people. Fourth and last question, and this I dwelt on this week, was really interesting. Whose side is God on? Is he on the winner's side? Is he on the loser's side? Apparently the losers, well, God's against you. The winners, God is for you. Is God for the Jewish people? Yes. Was he for, as they said, Nebuchadnezzar? It's a tough one. He did use Nebuchadnezzar. He was his anointed. And he used him. Nebuchadnezzar was God's instrument. Was God on Nebuchadnezzar's side? Maybe, maybe not. Was God on Cyrus's side? Titus's side? Hitler's side? Well, he couldn't have been on. No, no, no. He couldn't have been on his side. Although God allows authorities. Was God against, makes sense, the Amalekites? He destroyed them. Was God against the Canaanites? Was God against the Hittites? Was God against the Hivites? Was God against the Jebusites? Was God against the Perizzites? Israel suffering the Holocaust. God must have been against them. Whose side is God on? I'm I'm with you. I'm saying, Israel, yay, Israel. Is he? Whose side is he on? Here's something interesting I saw when I was thinking about this week. Joshua chapter 13. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho. Everyone, right here. Joshua led the Jewish people through the, over the Jordan into the land of Israel. In the land of Israel there were seven armies greater and mightier than Israel. And Joshua is about 
to start the work of Mo what Moses did in the land of Israel. Joshua is about to fulfill God's commission. Joshua is going to conquer the land, destroy the enemy, set up the kingdom that God promised. Let me ask you, who is God for here? Everyone? Joshua and the Jewish people. Joshua is about to start. And right before he starts the invasion, something very unique in the Bible takes place. How it came about? Joshua was a jerk, ready to go. That he lifted up his eyes. By the way, Jericho's chapter 6. This is chapter 5. Right before he's about to go in. Needs the assurance. God is with me. He lifted up his eyes. He looked. Behold, a man was standing opposite him. Out of nowhere. A man is standing opposite him. With his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us, the Jewish people, or for our adversaries? You know what question this is? Whose side are you on, God? That man was the angel of the Lord. That man was Yeshua. That man was God himself. And Joshua said, tell me, are you for me and our people? You must say yes. You brought us here. Are you for the others, the enemies? Whose side? The answer is simple. Just answer me. The angel should have said, the soldier should have said, the man should have said, I'm with you. Go. I'm with you. Verse 14. The man says, no. Rather, indeed, come now. He says, no, rather, I indeed come now as the captain of the Lord of hosts. Strange answer. Who is he? Whose side is God on? Listen. He's on God's side. He's on mankind's side. That's what this angel is saying. No, rather I come as the captain of the Lord of hosts. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth. Didn't get his answer. Fell on his face to the earth. Bowed down, said to him, what do you have to say to me then? The Lord says, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. You are in the presence of God Almighty. Whose side is God on? Psalm 67 tells us this. God, be gracious to us and bless us, Jewish people, and cause your face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation to all the Gentiles. Whose side is God on? God's side, mankind's side. God's desire and his plan is for the Jewish people. God is for mankind. He has a purpose and a plan for the world. In every age, man has turned against God and God said, I want my people and I love them. So God had a plan. You know what he did? He said, I'm going to raise up a special people who are going to bring redemption to those people in the whole world. And so God raised up a people from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. From them he gave the 12 patriarchs. Then he gave from all of them the word of God. Then he gave the prophets and all the message of God. And God said, through this people, I will bring forth the Messiah. Is he for those people? Of course. He's bringing forth the Messiah, though, for the whole world. God is for mankind. And he wanted to use the Jewish people. We know the verse as well in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, the Messiah, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God didn't send the Son, the Messiah, into the world to judge the whole world because God is for the whole world. 
but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. Who does not obey the Son will not see, see life, but the wrath of God will abide on him. He who believes and trusts in God turns to him, believes in his Son. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You know, there's a lot of things we could look at and focus on in this world. But the most important thing that all of us should think about is that God came to earth and died for the sins of the world. My friend and I talk all the time. He's a theologian. He's a scholar. He goes, you know, I don't understand when my wife got cancer. Dark time. I don't understand the difficulties of life. It's dark. It's hard. But I do know one thing. Messiah died and he was resurrected. That's what we focus on. Yeshua the Messiah himself said this, Therefore I say to you that you will die in your sins for unless you believe that I am him you will die in your sins. God is for us. He's with us. Well, let me see if we can conclude here. Write these four statements down if you can. Good. One, we are to trust and believe God even if things get difficult and dark. And though the whole world shakes and crumbles, we still must believe and trust that God knows better than you and I. Two, God is with us and not absent. God is with us and not absent. Even though you don't understand it, He's with you. Even when you're suffering, even when you go through difficult times. Now that's easy for me to say today, here now, and you sitting there. But today when you go through difficult times and you get bad news, God is still with you. Understanding your pain. Number three, God always keeps His promise. Always. That's all God can do. He must keep His promise. We are to have faith and trust and believe in Him and His promise. Promise to send the Messiah. Last, most important thing. Ask not whose side is God on, but rather, are you on God's side? God's in His Son. We're called to put our trust in Him. He suffered in my place. I am called to accept and believe. Yeshua is the promised Messiah. God spoke about it, all His promises in the Scripture. Messiah would come, Messiah would suffer, Messiah would die. And then God looks at us and says, put your trust in my son, believe in him. Won't you join God's side today? Let's bow for prayer. Father God, we sort of thank you for this day. We must thank you. We must trust and believe, even though this raises difficult, emotional, very difficult questions and problems in our life. Help us to focus not on what we see, but on the fact that there's a real God who has fulfilled prophecy, who's kept his promises, who will watch over and preserve our people, and promises eternal life to all those who believe and accept Yeshua as, their, as the Messiah and Savior. You might choose to want to do that even now. Say, God, I don't understand everything, but I do believe I've sinned. I do believe Yeshua 
is the Messiah and he died in my place. I now want to receive him and put my trust in him. For we ask all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen.